what up? This is Alternate Take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, we brought you guys the comedian, Matt Fultron. Dude, Matt's a legend. You guys have no idea, man. Or maybe you do, and I fucking hope you do. But um, I've been listening to Matt on podcasts for like 10 years, man, on Rogan, on Tom Segura's uh, podcast with Christina Pazitsky, YMH, um, on Joey Diaz's podcast, on all these podcasts, man. I've seen him live countless times. The dude's an absolute fucking killer on stage. He's he's one of the most accomplished comics, I would say, in the world. And uh, we got to chat with him, man. The dude's cool as hell, and it was a fucking fun time. So without further ado, I bring to you comedian Matt Full Charge Fulcheron. Alternate take. What is up, man? Thanks for coming back, guys. On this week's episode, we brought you guys the comedian, the full charge, Matt Fultron. How's it going, sir? I'm doing great. Great to be on the show. Absolutely, man. I've been a fan of yours for a long time now, man. Ever since going back to early Rogan stuff, to early Joy Diaz stuff, man. Um, but before we get to all those crazy accomplishments and what you're doing now, let's start from the beginning, brother. Tell me about your Well, album. I got to tell you, it was a great start. You know, <laughs> you being a fan of mine. I love that. You, you have me for the whole podcast now. I'll tell you anything. Uh, Beautiful. I, I got started in comedy in 1998. I was in uh, Los Angeles. I went to film school in Baltimore. I mean, you could call it film school. It was really just an art department that wanted to make experimental films. And I was with a bunch of guys that wanted to make like Hollywood films. Uh, and so, you know, we made these films. I actually I went out to Los Angeles to figure out where to fit in. And I worked at the Sunset Five movie theater right there on Sunset and Crescent Heights. And I used to ride my skateboard there every day because I didn't start driving. I drove from Maryland all the way to L.A., but I didn't start driving in L.A. for months and months and months because I just didn't want to. It was, it was so much traffic and everything, and I wasn't used to it. Anyway, I used to go past the Laugh Factory all the time, and I couldn't believe that stand-up comedy was still a thing back then because in the 90s because the stand-up was like kind of a big 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 thing in the 80s and then it just kind of died and the 90s right. were just kind of like too cool for anything from the 80s which is a weird phenomenon like they were making like rock bands were making fun of the 80s in like 1992 in their videos it was weird like the 80s were so lame as soon as 1990 rolled around yeah that's so and, um and um, so I, I was in a band. I was in a rap band. So that was already like half comedy. And I was like very adventurous back then. And I was like, I want to try stand up. So I, I waited in line all day long for the Laugh Factory open mic in July. I remember the date. It was July 7th, 1998. And uh, I waited there all day. And I did my three minutes. And I was so nervous. I was walking pacing like a caged animal like you know chris rock in those late 90s specials but yeah. i didn't have the chris rock material i just had the matt fulcheron nerves <laughs> and i'm walking back and forth and i dropped a couple punchlines, but i got some laughs and i got the i got the bug right after that and then i did open mics for about two years before i got my first paid gig um i worked in albuquerque new mexico first i worked in tucson arizona and then I worked at Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then I didn't really have a professional gig again for another year. Uh, I, I started playing the improvs in Southern California. I started emceeing. 
the their road rooms in Southern California. Wow. Okay. So how quickly did you know then that like your typical nine to five or anything like that was just out the fucking window that it wasn't even in the cards at all? Well, it wasn't. You heard a quiet quitting. I'm like the original quiet quitter. <laughs> I kept an office job. My, my theory was I don't care about this job and I don't recommend this to anybody. This is just what I did. I was like, I don't care about this job, but I'm going to keep showing up as long as they're going to pay me. But my main objective in life, and I also did another thing I don't recommend, is I immediately told people I was a comedian <laughs> after my first open mic. I was like, I'm a comedian. This is what I do. Um, there's pros and cons to that. For one, you're committed, but you're also like, like I didn't even have three minutes of material, so it's kind of absurd. But in Los Angeles, people do that shit all the time. Oh, like, yeah. There's people that say they're actors and they don't take an acting class. They've never acted in anything. They've never booked anything, but they're actors, right? They're basically the best looking people in their hometown. So they're actors when they get to LA. But anyway, um, for years, I worked at a place called Lightning Dubs, which is a video duplication place, which is completely obsolete. Um, and I worked there until even after I started going on the road, even after I, I started getting appearances on television, I was um, I was still working at this place from 1998 to on and off until 2007. They finally fired me. <laughs> um, they fired me a lot and I quit a lot, but somehow they couldn't find anybody else to do my job, which was I was just in charge of the master tapes. And I basically did Google searches for a living. Again, antiquated job. Nobody knew how to do a search on a computer that even like, you know, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, which is wild to think about. Just people will call me up and be like, I'm looking for my master tape. Here's the title. And I typed the title into the database and it would show me what shelf it was on. And nobody knew how to do that for some reason. <laughs> crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. No, you're right about doubling down on the, on the comedian uh, label man absolutely dude i i've seen some people too that should just for sure like fucking go get checked into a mental institution before they start telling people they're a fucking comedian because they have that they have the wonky eye they're fucking nuts they did one stand up they did an open mic spot and you're like this right. guy, some guy some guys you're like that guy's something like he's fucking funny and some guys you're like this dude is gonna be jeffrey dahmer in two weeks like i, I can see it coming right and you still don't know who's gonna be successful <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean there's a lot of crazy people that make it but yeah, there's a lot of like open micers that just that's where they go to be crazy and that's where they get to be crazy. And, you know, almost anything's you, they, they might not get a laugh, but they're still accepted in this weird misfit community. And most people, including myself, had to go through that phase of just being part of these uh, Kyle Kinane calls it the the island of misfit toys. It's just just whether you're good or whether you're bad, everybody's just kind of weird. Yeah, you know? you know what? It, I felt like it was different when you guys were coming up because you guys were, yeah, you guys were misfits, but you guys were fucking warriors of your craft, man. And it was very obvious. Like, you guys weren't just trying to be weird to be fucking in and to be cool. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was like, we're weird. Yeah, we fucking know that. But we work our ass off. We go to open mics all the time. I'll see you when I see you. Maybe I'll see you at that gig. Who knows? But right. now it's like being weird is a fucking trend. And it's like, I'm doing stand up. Ha ha. It's like, yeah, but you're just doing it to be fucking cute. And I don't like that shit. <laughs> yeah, no, there was some, there was some true lovers of stand up doing it then because um, I, I didn't know, like when you go to get a job and you have a career, you're supposed to like interview a professional and say, how much money do you make? How does it work? Most of us did none of that. 
And that, that helps like, like, like this is not a realistic thing to get into. Like, it doesn't matter if you, you, you just like, you just got to kind of do it. And I'll tell you what you, you bring up something when you say that is that I thought stand up was kind of a cute thing. Cause what I saw on TV was kind of cute. Um, even though looking back to Seinfeld sitcoms, pretty dark, but anyway, um, these comics, they were, I, they were from San Francisco. They're from New York. They were, they were doing like, if you look at comedy from the late nineties and the early two thousands, it was really like these open micers were like pretty good and, and edgy. I'm talking about guys like this guy, uh, Brett Gilbert, uh, Sam Tripoli. Um, and the comedy store was still kind of happening, even though that was like a wasteland. Um, it, there was like, it was like really exciting once I realized what people were doing and what I was going to be able to do now. Like, Oh, these guys are like really dark and like commenting on like the, the hypocrisy of the social environment. And it's like, like what, you know, like I thought comedy was all like surface level white guy in a suit um, observational material. That's what I thought stand up was, but it turns out it's a lot more like, there's a lot of Bill Hicks fans and like Doug Standup was thrive. Doug Stanhope was thriving at the time. And then you had crazy weird shit like Mitch Hedberg. Standup was really cool back then. And there also wasn't a whole lot of outlets for a creative person because standup was one of the few things you could do that wasn't Hollywood sanctioned. You could exist on a standup stage without, you know, charming a casting director or something like that. You know, that, that's part of it. That can be part of it, but it's not necessarily part of it. It's like Broadway for fuck ups. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think my favorite part about it all, man, is that we get like a real glimpse into the real person. I think that's my favorite thing. Like, you know, you hear a Guns N' Roses song. You don't actually know if they really mean the lyrics. Like, you don't know if they right. wrote it just to be fucking cheesy or or if this is a real life story they have or if they're talking about somebody else. You don't know any of that shit. But when yeah. you hear a comedian, um, I talked about this with Darren Carter last week, too, when we were like, but the first time I was at the store, like I didn't realize how in close and personal you are with the comedians. Like when I went to go take a piss, like I walked by Dalia and uh, Dean Delray, and I was like, I didn't say shit, but I was also like, yeah. that's fucking. You don't. It's not like you're going to an Angel game walking by Mike Trout on the way to take a piss. You know, it's, it's really, happen. it's really crazy. So the first time I did stand up at that Laugh Factory, like Bob Saget was on the show, and um, I forget the guy's name. I shouldn't. He's a good comic, but he had a sitcom called Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Um, he, you know, he was, he was famous. I, I'm blanking on his name, but he was very successful and probably still is. Um, and then you're doing shows with like even open mics with people you've seen on TV and that's wild. Like open mics. Like I remember I did something, it wasn't exactly an open mic, but it was like what they would call a book show. And it was at a coffee shop, like just at a fucking coffee shop. And, uh, Zach Galifianakis was on and Chris Hardwick was on. And like Chris Hardwick was kind of famous from the show Singled Out in the 90s. It was a dating show with Jenny McCarthy. And, and I'm on the show with these with these two guys, you know, and Zach wasn't famous, but it was clear that he was like really talented and like really creative uh, even back then. This was like 1999. Yeah. Westwood, I, California. Damn. Well, yeah, no, I, that's true. I, I didn't realize that till uh, years ago when uh, I was listening to a, a church episode with Joey and he was it was just him and Lee 
And he was talking to Lee about like, yeah, you know, if you want to do stand up, then fucking take a chance, cocksucker. Fucking Columbus did. And he goes, go to fucking uh, go to the fourth wall in North Hollywood and yeah. do open mics there. And I heard that and I was like, oh, I've always considered it. And like, uh, you know, I'm willing to fall flat on my face. Why the fuck not? And it's far enough from where I live. I lived in Whittier yeah. at the time. So I was like, I, I don't have to see anybody I know there. Like, fuck it. So yeah. I remember I went and I'm sitting and the guy and I already paid. And fucking Joey walks in. I'm like, this is yeah. bullshit, dude. <laughs> I'm like, this sucks. Like, who's gonna yeah. follow fucking Joey or anything? Like, this is right, like, right, right. Like, I wanted to say hi and shit, but I was like, I don't want to bother nobody. That's not me. But, um, but that was cool to see. Like that, even it's a cool aspect for everyone involved because yeah. Joey just shows how much humility he has that he's willing to still go there and try new shit in front of comics. Yeah, the new guys, it's like kind of like a battle test. Like, are you you willing to follow this? Because this is this is what being a comic is yeah. it's not going to be open micers all the fucking time and it never ends either by the way like i just did a show at the stand two weeks ago and uh louis ck was on and they're like matt you want to go up i was like yep put me up assholes you know like i'm going up i don't want to go up audience didn't want me to go up but i went up but you, you know, know it's- i think comedians man i really do think comedians have a, a much better fight or flight instinct than they realize i, I think yeah I think I don't know if that actually applies to real fights, <laughs> but no, for sure it applies to the stage, man. Like that sink or swim. Like I think there's so much anxiety you built up in your head that it's just not real. Because when it comes down to it, most of them end up fucking, you know, swimming and they swim yeah. fluently. And there's a weird thing where they think, oh man, like I was kind of an out of body experience. I don't even know if I can repeat, you know, that level of creativity I did on there. I was just flowing. But you're like, yeah. it's gonna happen again. You just, you know, it. That's what you're good at is thriving on the fucking. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is really what it's all about is trying to get in the right headspace, trying to like clear clear your mind and not try to control it, not don't try to control it. Just like surf it, like ride the wave. And even if you're nervous, like hopefully it'll go away once you grab the mic and start talking. Uh you can't always do it. Nobody has a perfect batting average. I've worked with the best I've seen the best and everybody has off nights but um but that's it that's the game it's not so much the material like we think it is it's not so much the performance it's more about like opening yourself up to the moment and being in the moment right just being comfortable exactly and that that's why i said that's why i think people respect comedians the most is because you are so vulnerable you are saying the most fucked up things about yourself and learning how to make it funny and you see that 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 translated not till later even into like music like music was always like that but like specifically like the braggadocious type like hip-hop hip-hop didn't have that shit forever and then eminem was like my mom's a whore fuck it you know i <laughs> i did go to that fucked up school i am you know i yeah. did cross that way and then it became cool to talk shit about yourself i think he's like <laughs> kaiser kaiser sosa you ever seen uh, usual suspects no well that doesn't matter eminem like kind of took himself out before anybody else could and that's what happens in the movie too in eight mile have you seen eight mile yeah, at the end of the battle yeah, yeah he's like i'm gonna fucking trash myself before you can you know right. what i mean which is genius that to me that's yeah. a that's a taking a page out of the comedian's playbook because that's always absolutely. the comedian's thing you know absolutely i think you're absolutely right about that and it is funny like eminem does have a lot of funny lines and stuff all rappers <laughs> do though rappers <laughs> are gifted like that yeah hell yeah they don't give a fuck they just sling dick 24 7 i love mm-hmm. it um so where'd you start like getting notoriety like when did you start featuring you know even on the brink of headlining when when did that start coming into play like how many years in the comedy were you things started to change for me a little bit when i was um i don't know what was i like 27 i just turned 27 and i did a a, a little 
a show at the improv that was for comedians that weren't improv regulars in Hollywood. And it was, it was like seven, it was before like the 8 PM show, six or seven. And I went up there and I just like, like we said, this was three years after I started. Um, I, I got in the zone. I managed to get in the zone. I managed to like really capture the energy of the room. And it was a great set. And I walked out and the booker, uh, Aaron, who still works at the improv, I, I owe her a lot because she walked out of the room and she was like, Hey, Matt, Matt, you know, like you can call in for spots. Like, you, you know, you can call in for spots. She's like, uh, your material's not there yet, but you have enough stage presence that, that we'll see where we can fit you in. And that was, that was a big deal. I started playing the improv, not a lot. Cause like she said, I wasn't there yet, but then I started being managed by, um, uh, power entertainment, which is now levity. And so they're involved in the improv. And that's when I started working at the Brea improv at the Irvine improv at the Ontario improv. That's when I really started working and even started developing a sitcom. I was like pitching sitcoms in 2002. I had a showrunner. We were at like major, we were at like ABC Fox, not a lot, but like, like things were happening. Um, that was the game back then. You get like five, seven minutes of material together and then you try to get a sitcom out of it. And um, listen, I wasn't ready for any of it, but I was willing to try because like, because <laughs> it, it, it used to work back then because it wasn't just you get a show on the air. It was like you get paid to develop the show. So it's like this whole racket. Uh, I didn't get too far in it, but I did get my pinky toe in a pool. So that was like a jump start. Yeah, awesome. Um, I was yeah. going to say, I've seen you at the Bray Improv before. Um, I've seen you, obviously, at the Comedy Store. And um, that's why I first got to know. I mean, I've noticed you first on podcasts. And then going, I was like, oh, dude, I've heard that dude's interview before. That was That's yeah. always really cool, too, is that, like, you don't even know what the fuck you're going to get. Like, when right. you go, especially, like, at the store, you don't know. I don't go there often anymore. But um, that's like I think that's the first place I actually saw you. And then I saw you at the, it was either featuring or headlining at the Bray Improv later. But, yeah. Um, Tell me about that process of even cracking into the store. Cause like you mentioned, you know, like the nineties were the dead era, you know, it's very, it's very weird how like the documentary, I loved it. And I talk about it with basically every comedian that comes on because it kind of goes through it. Like at least like not extensively in every period, but it goes through like the parts of every period of that place, you know? And then, yeah. you know, the legend of Mitchy Sore getting passed by Mitchy Sore. What was your experience like going to my the experience? So I haven't seen the documentary, but I think there's a part about like the dead years and I probably define the dead years. I started doing the open mic there in 2003. Well, no, first of all, I, I started doing the belly room, which is the smaller room in the comedy store on uh, like an independent shows, meaning some like a comedian books, comedians that aren't comedy store regulars. So I started playing the comedy store in 1998 and um, those shows were really fun. And then I started doing the actual open mic in the OR around 2000, uh, 2002, but, but really definitely in 2003. And I kept doing well at Missy Shore showcases. I remember there was like six weeks in a row where I just murdered, but like for some reason I couldn't get past, I kept like doing this. It, it, it used to go three minute set, then a six minute set, then a nine minute set. And if you, you, you know, after the nine minute set, you were passed. So really like three, three sets, 
But I remember I got stuck on the six minute set and it was never explained to me. And I never really asked, but I did the six minute set like five times. And then at one point I just never got the nine minute set. And then in 2005, uh, January, 2005, um, the guy running at Tommy was like, Mitzi's here. It was a packed room. He's like, I'm sending you up. And I wasn't even officially auditioning, but I just like fucking did so well, it was just set up perfectly. And uh, my jokes were so short back then. I was just like, bam, bam. You know, I did three minutes, but I, I got like 18 jokes in there. And uh, it was per- it was like really perfect. And then the next day they called me and told me I was passed. Um, and then I would go up. I went up there quite a bit in 2005, 2006 and into 2007. And then I started opening for uh, and, th- and that was a wild time. Because that was when, when people say the comedy store is tough, like that's what they're talking about. I've played it since. It's like a hot room now, most of the time. And not, you know, not all the time, but it's, it's like, there's much more potential. You used to go there and you used to go up in front of like three, four people, even if you killed somewhere else the night before. And, and just like, most people just ate it. And most people did crowd work. So by the time you got up there, that's all the audience wanted to do is crowd work. The crowd had like, all these inside jokes that you didn't know about. So they're like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they're the comics and you're just a fucking idiot that happened to walk up there. And it was really tough. And there were some tough nights there, but there were also some huge victories when you did something in front of five people, the victory was you didn't feel dumb or you got like three laughs or something. And that's what it was. It was even harder than the open mic days. It really was very difficult. Wow. And material wouldn't really work there. So like I, I'm a material comic and I, and I would still try to get my material in there as much as I could. But you really if they could tell you to do material, they were really uninterested. And that's I think that's what small shows are like anyway. Like material can seem really contrived in front of like seven people. Yeah, you know, you know I, mean? I, I think that's my my favorite part about your comedy, though, is that it is very personal. It is very material based. I like that. I don't. Punchlines are great too. I'm all for it. You know, I mean, um, yeah, I like all different types of comedy. Like you said, mentioning before, you know, yeah. like going from Hedberg and all it's there's a place for fucking all of it too. You know, like yeah, of course. Uh, and I, that's what I think you get from the comics. Now, I would, I heard, I've heard a few comics say this now, but like where they talk about the comedy store now, where they're saying like it's too many killers now. So you're not really going up there taking as many chances as you would like to. Yeah, and treating it the way you used to treat it, which is more of like a, a workout spot. Now it's yeah. now it's like. It's fucking Wednesday and it's sold out. So like you got to bring your best shit even if you don't want to. Yeah, you still you can still work out by like in the middle of a minute or two, you know, just throw in a minute or two. And that's way less. I, I, I'd rather have it that way, to be honest with you. I, I'm not fond of these memories that we speak of. <laughs> like that was really fucking tough. Uh, I would love to I would have loved to have had. An, but, but I had like the comedy and magic club when I wanted to kill. You know, and the improv was somewhere in between, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't the worst. And I could have turned down the spots. It was just so cool to be on the Sunset Strip, like fucking doing comedy where you you heard about it your whole life and now you're there. Uh, yeah. But the vibe there amongst the other comics was, was pretty fucking dark. Yeah, that's what so, like three hour spots and fucking cutting you off and all kinds of shit. Yeah. So like, you know. I don't know, four, five blocks away at the improv. Everybody's all optimistic with their development deals and same comics, just a different room they're in. 
are much easier to get along with, much more fun, much more optimistic, laughing, smiling. Then up at the store, it's just like different vibe. And it really is, it really, it's almost a visual thing. That place looks dark. They say it's haunted. I don't really believe in that stuff. But there's there's definitely a like a morgue type vibe there. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard Bobby Lee yeah. mention it a few times that he's he's seen some ghosts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of people have said that. I know Joey said that. It's it's a it pretty. It was on a show. It, it was on a, a network show called Unsolved Mysteries in the late '80s. It was like that was one of the unsolved mysteries. Was like was the comedy store haunted? And everybody was telling their stories about when they saw a ghost or whatever. Jesus, man! I had somebody call me up. And, you know, it used to be called Ciro's. It used to be a nightclub called Ciro's. And he called me up and, he, and I didn't really know who it was. And he was like, he goes, yeah, I haven't seen you since Ciro's. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Is this like The Shining? Like, this, like, <laughs> but I think I misheard him. And I think I actually ran into the guy later. So it wasn't a ghost, but it was spooky. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Well, coming all the way full circle now, man. I mean, now you're you're killing it. I see you fucking everywhere. Um Big, big, huge comics that are like on top of the game, not only on podcasts, YouTube, but everywhere. But I mean, they can see you on Tom Segura's podcast with right. Christina, uh, on Rogan's, on Joey's, man. And I think that's huge because it's given, it's given, like I said before, it's given a huge insight into who you are, man. And, mm-hmm. you know, tell me how things are going now, man. Things are good. I'm in a good spot. Um, I got something Hollywood a little going on that I, I can't really talk about. But um, since the pandemic, I've been working less but making the same amount of money and just doing stand-up in, in New York and an opening for Tom Segura, occasionally Daniel Tosh. It's just, I really appreciate stand-up after the pandemic. I really appreciate like actually doing it. I finally have new material that I'm like pushing myself with and enjoying. And uh, I'm in a good spot right now for sure. Oh, that's great, man! That's super yeah. good to hear. Did did I hear that you did you open for uh for Joey for his Broadway thing too? Did you hear? Is that I did, and that was a lot of fun too. That was a lot of fun out there in Broadway in New York. You realize, like, after taking a year, year and a half off, just like how how special and how uh, how lucky you are to just do these venues. You can get caught up in so much, but like just how lucky you are to live in a country where you have free speech. And, you know, people complain about getting canceled and all that stuff, but you're not going to jail for the things you say. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, these venues, these historical venues and, and just the people you get to meet, the people you get to hang with, it's just insane. Yeah. You know, man. It really is. It's a, it's, it's like, there's nothing like it because every other part of my life, it's just like, you're talking to like regular adults who live regular adult lives. And oh my God, the weather's so crazy today. One of those yeah, conversations, like, ah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, you know, with the kids and, and just all these conversations, and you want to say like evil shit. Sometimes you do. <laughs> Knowing that's going to go south, but you're like, fuck it, who cares? You can't help it. It's like, <laughs> talk about a gym. Like, every day is a gym, right? You like, you have to come up with jokes constantly. Right. So you can't turn that off when you're talking to somebody. But but then like I have this avenue where I get to talk to uh, comedians and and you just no one's going to be offended by anything you say. Not that I'm dying to say offensive shit, but I don't want to have to think about what I'm saying. I right. just want to go for the laugh. The laugh is sacred and nothing else is amongst comedians. 
And if you can somehow bring it to the next level and do that on stage, say something kind of fucked up, but it's still funny. That's like a real sweet spot. Yeah. That, civilians like goal. it, you know? Absolutely. That's the goal, man. And it's funny what you said where like, if you miss it, you can, you can really like make it more important back in, into your life again. I think that's crazy because it's only unique to this. Like think about sports. That's not a thing. You can't be like, well, I'm in my prime right now and I'm going to take a couple, you know, years off. I feel like chilling. And then, yeah. but now you're fucking, you're 28. Now you're 35 and you're like, well, you're right, not gonna be right. the same as you were anymore. You're going to be like, shitty. No one's going to want you. And that could fuck, that fucks athletes up forever. Some people get like, of course they get crazy. They get, uh, they have to be analysts and shit. Now we have to hear them talk like they fuck it. It's, it's brutal. But like yeah. medians, you can, you can take some time off, come back even stronger. And that's like the best part about it. Yeah. Because before the pandemic, I was exhausted from, uh, doing the road. I was doing the road like three or four weeks a month. And, um, and I was also booking it myself and just, it was, it was rough getting on planes, cars, doing these shows. Like I didn't even have enough. I didn't have any new material because my whole life was just sitting on an airplane, you know, <laughs> it was, it yeah. was, or like living in a hotel. Like there was nothing stimulating about it. Right. And, so and that now, does need to be something you do. Like you got to like watch what's going on in the world. How can I make yeah. a joke about that? And if you're just traveling all the time, you're like, fuck, I don't even know what's happened. Yeah. I didn't have much of a personal life, you know, and now I, I'm, I'm I just got married. Uh, I proposed right before the pandemic. Uh, I went down to Louisiana, got to know her family during the pandemic. So all these things happened that I get to talk about now. So that's pretty cool. Hell yeah. Congratulations, yeah. man. That's Thank awesome. You. Awesome. Well, dude, um, I promise you 30 minutes. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I appreciate dude, that. Absolutely, man. This That's the most important thing, man. I, I said, I'm just some nobody random kid. So who the fuck am I to take someone's hour? Well, out you're, of good at, you're good at this. You're a good interviewer. You're a good podcaster. So thank you, you're man. Somebody. I really appreciate that. You're somebody <laughs> in my mind. My mom thinks I'm somebody. Everyone else don't give a fuck. <laughs> that's two man. people. That's two people now. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Um, you got it. Do me a favor. Tell everybody like your social media, where you're going to be yeah. at. All that good stuff. Uh, just remember the full charge, the full charge.com and the full charge on Twitter and Instagram. And I think I'm Matt Fulcheron on TikTok. I got to get a hold of that, but I've, I've been on there like six times. But anyways, just remember the full charge. It's easy to spell and don't forget the, the, <laughs> all right. That's Beautiful, man. Like I said, thanks for taking the time out, man. You've been one of my favorite comics for the last 10 years. Thank or so. You. So this has been a great experience for me, man. I appreciate it, dude. Thank you very much. Absolutely. This has been all to take. We'll see you guys later. Peace. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with comedian Matt Fulcheron. Thanks for stopping in, dude. I had such a blast, man. Um, can't wait to hear in SoCal. We'll definitely be at the show, man, to support and whatnot. And uh, congratulations on everything that's been going on, the tour with Tom and Joey. It's it's fucking, it's bananas, man. You're the man. Uh, for all of you Fulcheron fans out there, I put links to all of his shit in the podcast description. Go check that shit out and enjoy, man. And that's it. This has been Alternate Take. Thank you guys for stopping in. I'm your host, Danny Rodriguez, and I'll see you guys later. Peace.